I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 308. Welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. There is a lot of contemporary Christian music out there that talks about us. I mean, a lot. I even use some of them on the podcast because, well, they're on the radio and we're listening to them. So what better way to redeem them than by using them to inspire us to read and study scripture for ourselves? Now, you can tell just by the title of this week's song, The God Who Stays by Matthew West, we're shifting our attention to the one who deserves all of our attention and praise all of the time. Our God, his His staying power is is really amazing. And I, and I want to remind us of it throughout the story of scripture. But before we dive into that, let's listen. You're the God who stays. You're the God who stays. You're the one who runs in my direction. When the whole world walks away, you're the Psalm 94.14 says, The Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. You know, we serve a God who stays. And I know how important that attribute is in the, in the lives of, of all of us, really. Because I know you've been abandoned. Because I've been abandoned. You've been abandoned by parents, by spouses, by children, by friends, and by coworkers. You've been abandoned by those who know you best. You've been abandoned by those who don't know you at all, and it shouldn't hurt because they don't even really matter, but it does. It really does. Sometimes you do the abandoning. You have your reasons, or sometimes they're just really excuses, but many times it's to protect your fragile heart because if you don't abandon first, they will abandon you, and you don't know if you can take it. But God isn't made out of wood or stone. He is not made in the likeness of men. He is not like a a Greek god my girls are studying in school with all the faults and foibles with like a superpower tacked on, attacked on. You know, he is the all-powerful, infallible God who stays. And we see this throughout scripture. In fact, I think the most profound way to talk about this idea this week is to look at the whole of scripture. And I know that this can be intimidating because many of you don't know the whole of scripture. I mean, after all, it's 66 books written by 40 authors over 1,500 years. There are genres in there that you don't understand or know how to read. There are genealogies you're pretty sure don't matter. There are rules and rules and rules. There's a lot of death and blood, especially in the Old Testament. But I want to encourage you. 
It's all one big story to tell us of a God who stays and whose ultimate plan is just like his original one, new creation. So this week, we're going to hop in the plane and we're going to fly over. If there is a story that you've never heard before that I uh, mention, jot it down and then go read it in context. That is my favorite Bible interaction tool exercise. You'll hear me call these exercises bites for short. But simply put, reading in context is just taking in the text around the text you're studying. So if I wanted to read the verse I read earlier, Psalm 94, 14, in context... I would just read all of Psalm 94, which we may do if we have time later. But as always, I want to inspire you to discover and meditate on God's word for yourself. It will take some work. It doesn't work when I do it for you. I mean, it works for me. I find the treasure, but it's not the same. You can do this. You can go read the accounts of scripture for yourself. And hopefully this podcast will help kind of give you some perspective as we consider it in light of the whole. And uh, in my bites, the, the considering the, the big story is called the meta narrative. That's just a fancy word of saying the grand story of scripture. And so context and meta narrative are the two bites that I'm going to be talking about or that I used this week to prepare for the podcast. So scripture is full of God making promises. And these are often called covenants. And these covenants are binding agreements to his people. And I say to his people rather than with his people, because with would imply that his people actually reciprocated part of the promise. And if they did, it was always very short lived and it never really worked out because they would end up rebelling anyway. So throughout scripture, however, you see God keeping up his end of the covenant and that his people do not. God is faithful. His people rebel. God is patient. His people demand that he act in their timing. In Genesis, we see God establishing a new creation. He sets forth a flourishing land that he gives to his created people, Adam and Eve, to tend and to develop, and to grow. He does give them boundaries, but beyond that, they had overwhelming freedom, and the possibilities were endless. They, however, rebel and choose disobedience that led them to be banished from the Garden of Eden. But before they got kicked out, God gives them hope for a Redeemer that would crush the serpent's head. You can read all about this in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. God had to be faithful to himself but promises that he will provide a way back for his wayward children. He would not only not abandon them, he promised a rescuer. Now, wickedness increased on the earth such that scripture says in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. And he decided to cleanse the earth with water through a flood. And he chose to preserve Noah, who found favor in his eyes. So Noah and his family and a few from each animal group were saved. Uh, But the rest of the earth was destroyed in the flood. You know, in that story, God shuts Noah and his family in himself. And we, like Noah, are being kept in Christ through the waters of death. And on the other side of the flood, God made a covenant with Noah and to the generations that followed with a promise never to destroy the earth through a flood again. And then after the flood, we see a recreation narrative. Noah exits the ark, plants a garden, and because of the fruit that he ferments, he falls into sin. A complete replay of the Garden of Eden. And yet, God stayed. 
And then in Genesis chapter 11, we see the account of the Tower of Babel, where humans try to build a tower to ascend to heaven, like kind of like Eve reaching toward the fruit to rival God. Only now people are working in concert together to rival God. And while God confuses their speech and scatters them uh, to worlds unknown, he does not abandon his ultimate plan and he stays. In the whole of scripture, we see God choose a man for himself and then a people for himself and then the nations for himself. And the man that God chose for himself in Genesis chapter 12 was Abraham. And by Genesis chapter or Abram, I guess he started out as Abram. By Genesis chapter 15, he makes him a promise, a covenant that included offspring and land. And it is here that we see with greater clarity that Jesus is coming. In addition, throughout all the stories that we see in Scripture, I don't know if this, you've ever noticed this, but the older son takes the lower place and the younger son takes the higher place. The first Adam goes to the lower place and the second Adam, Jesus Christ, to the higher place because that was the plan all along and God stayed. And that man, Abraham, became a nation, Israel, God's chosen and promised people. And if we fly over the rest of Genesis and then hover over Exodus for a moment, we continue to see a pattern. God keeps his end of the covenant, but Israel does not. God is faithful. They rebel. God is patient and they demand he act in their timing. And in Exodus, we see that God's promise of creating a nation of numerous people has been fulfilled, but they are not in the land of promise. And so God is moving his wayward people back to his place, beginning the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. And in Exodus 14, we see God delivering his people. He delivers them by the blood of the Passover lamb. Deliverance from death comes by the blood of another and by water with the crossing of the Red Sea. And once again, God has delivered them. It is in the wilderness when he makes yet another covenant with his people. And you can read that in Exodus chapters 19 through 24, where we find the Mosaic covenant. This is the one given through Moses to the people where God is telling them what he expects of them in that place. God is a holy God with standards and expects the same from his people. Trust and obey and follow the law. The rules and regulations he lays out entails their relationship with him and with one another. And the law was explained and then disobeyed. And then the people were brought back and the cycle continues. But all the while, God stays because you can you see that the people can't obey. They need redemption. And you fast forward to Joshua and Judges, and we see the main event that the people finally get to enter the promised land, and they enter hopeful and eager. And there is some hope in the book of Joshua, but their obedience is brief. The law couldn't be kept. The land stipulations couldn't be maintained. They couldn't drive the enemies of God out. It's in the book of Judges that it gets really bad. That's where I'm reading in my personal study right now. The accounts in this book are dark and should be jarring because it's exactly the kind of stuff that happens when people do what is right in their own eyes. And the cycle clearly depicts a faithful God and a rebellious people. They rebel, suffer the consequences, cry out of their, out of their despair, and then God sends a rescuer. And then they rebel again, rinse, and repeat. 
So if the people just can't keep the ways of the Lord, maybe a king will help them. So just look at the end of Ruth, which is an account of a family who actually lived in the time of the judges. And in this dark time to this destitute, broken, barren and grieving family, a baby and a kingdom is born. Because Ruth bore Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David, King David, a man after God's own heart. But before we get to David, the people ask for a king like the nations, not a king of God's choosing, completely ignoring God, their king, who has never left them. But with David, we have this hope that maybe this is going to be the king to deliver them and keep them from backsliding, ushering in peace and prosperity in God's land. And in 2 Samuel, we see the Davidic covenant. And it is through this covenant that we see that God is the one who establishes his people. He is the one who keeps his people, and he is establishing the throne. This covenant is about David's descendant, the one, capital O, who will reign forever on David's throne. David's son, Solomon, uh, his reign actually does bring in an unprecedented time of peace and prosperity to God's people, but it had an end date because like David, he is a sinful man. His great flaw, of course, was that he loved foreign idol worshiping women. And after Solomon, God's chosen nation uh, elects or, or appoints king after king after king who fails them. You can read all through about that throughout Kings and Chronicles. And the question lingers. Where's the true king? Now, each king shows us that they are not good enough. They die or they fail us, but not the king of kings. He is the God who stays even when we rebel. Now, eventually the people of God end up captured and in exile, but God doesn't abandon them. He eventually brings them back. Do you see the pattern? God delivers, makes promises and covenants, and then the people rebel, but he stays and delivers again. And when we read the historical books, we need to feel the weight of the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. How long? How long until you deliver us? How long until you provide a good king? Until you provide for us that we may obey And throughout scripture, with every act of deliverance and every covenant, God is saying, I will make a way. I will save you. You will be my people. I will deal with you not according to your sins, but my promise and my character. There is no other way than through him, my friend. God's covenant promises is the covenants are what drive him to preserve Israel. And it's his covenant promises that drive him to stay for you. You are a part of this story if you trust in Christ. You are a chosen one and will walk with the Lord in the land of the living and under his rule and reign forever. God will keep his covenant promises because he is the one who is moving the story forward. God will not abandon his wayward people. And then after 400 years of silence, a light dawns and a new covenant is established. The new covenant is the promise that God makes with humanity that he will forgive sin and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned toward him. Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant and his death on the cross is the basis of the promise. 
The old covenant was written in stone, but the new covenant is written on our hearts. Entering the new covenant is made possible only by faith in Christ, who shed his blood to take away the sins of the world. Hebrews 8, 6 puts it this way, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. The Bible tells us there's a plan we can bank on and trust in. And if you read any one story, it may seem or it can seem like God has failed. But he is the same. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He delivers his people from bondage by blood and by water. And he establishes his rule. And he brings his wayward people back from exile again and again and again. So you see, we are the wayward ones. And he remains. He is the God who stays So what's next? Well, we've covered a lot of ground today. If you would like to explore the big idea of covenant further, I highly recommend a resource on covenants by The Bible Project. It includes videos that are easy to watch and understand. If there is a story I highlighted that you've never read for yourself before, by all means, read it this week. I have uh, created kind of an outline in the show notes. So if you go to michellekneesat.com, forward slash 308. You can find the notes there. And if you just want to meditate on a chunk of scripture, as is our normal weekly pattern, I recommend Psalm 94, since we've kind of run out of time to reach into that one. And then while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneesat.com. You can hop on Twitter at michellekneesat or Instagram at michellekneesat or on Facebook, Michelle L. Nizat is my public page. And we can talk about what you're learning there. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank any new subscribers who have subscribed recently, like Michael from Texas, Jill from Texas, Alicia from Illinois, Chris from Ontario, Canada, Bernard from California, California, and truly from Kansas. Welcome. Now, new subscribers to my website benefit from a one-page resource of my top five bites that I've used on the podcast. It's a great place to start and a really valuable resource. Subscribers will also benefit from an email that I send once a week. And in that email, you get a weekly memory memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, or you can print it out. You also get an email recap of the week's episode and instant access to any of the extra resources I create for my episodes from time to time. And all of that is just my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneesat.com to subscribe today. Now, have you had a chance to write a review in iTunes for the podcast yet? Oh, this really encourages me, but it also helps me stay visible to new listeners. And as always, if you take the time to uh, review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Just like Marisha GW, who writes, I first listened to the first episode of this new year, 2020. So then I went back to the number two episode of 2014 when the podcast first started. Wow. I love the songs and the background of the songs and the script. Too. Thank you so much for taking the time, Marisha, for this a super kind review and all the excitement. And the, I love all the exclamation points. And I hope that um, you will continue to listen. I really appreciate you. Of course, you can listen to the podcast through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. 
Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using King of Kings by Hillsong Worship to lead us to scripture. And if you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 308. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.